We are a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-faith mass movement, united in demanding change. <laughs> Boom chakalaka. <laughs> you go, girl. I mean, soon to be congresswoman. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something right. Oh, it's a little right today. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right Here I am, stuck in the middle with you Here I am Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. Columbus, Ohio's WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, in Fayetteville, Arkansas on KPSQ, in Seattle, Washington on KODX, don't let me interrupt your vote counting, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe for you every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth, five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today. It was a a big election day on Tuesday in five different states. You heard at the top of the show there a a little bit of uh, Cori Bush, the uh, one of the biggest victories, I think, of Tuesday, Desi Doyen. Indeed. We will get uh, to details on that win in my old home state of Missouri momentarily. But we got to get right to, well, we got to get right to our guest today because he is in a rush. Got to get him out of here. So let's just jump right in. It was, in fact, statewide primary election day on Tuesday in Missouri, Michigan, Kansas, Arizona and Washington state. And though some of the numbers aren't uh, yet even close to final, given the huge influx in uh, uh, vote by mail ballots cast due to the covid crisis, They take longer to process by hand before they are eventually computer tallied. But I think we've got a pretty good picture, nonetheless, of some of the key races from Tuesday's elections. And as my uh, guest reports today, there was a mix of both good news and bad news, though, frankly, I'd say much more good than bad for progressive Democrats. He uh, is always free to correct me, of course. I should also note that I'm happy to say that so far, anyway, I've seen or received very few reports so far of problems at the polling place for voters on Tuesday. Okay, good. That's good news. So or far. in uh, So far, right. Or in receiving or casting mail-in ballots. That said... 
If you uh, if, if you've heard this show ever before, you know that sometimes it takes a while for those problems to reveal themselves from Election Day, from either the polls or the tabulation of ballots after Election Day. So we will continue to watch that. And as always, a reminder that these are unofficial results that we'll be talking about today and perhaps even more unofficial than usual given the number of absentee ballots that are still coming in and or being processed in several states today. That said, last time Howie Klein joined us for post-election results coverage after the state primaries in New York and Kentucky a few weeks ago, pretty much all of the races that he was willing to call that day indeed did finalize just as he called them, including the Big news a few weeks ago where New York's progressive Democratic candidate Jamal Bowman unseated longtime establishment Democrat Congressman Elliot Engel in the state's 16th congressional district. So far, anyway, Howie has a good record on COVID era election results. Howie Klein is the founder of the longtime progressive blog DownWithTyranny.com, co-founder of the Blue America PAC dedicated to raising small dollar donations to help elect progressives, not Democrats, but progressives to office. He has for more years than either of us care to remember covered U.S. congressional races about as closely as anyone in the nation, and as smartly. Howie Klein, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Thanks. And I, I almost interrupted you, but uh, but I, d- I decided to just let you go since I was writing anyway. But uh, a correction uh, already? Do I need the Congressional Progressive Caucus uh, just a few minutes ago endorsed Jamal, Jamal Bowman as well? They did well for November. Yes, for November. Yeah, well, okay. Anybody can do it for November if it's the only Democrat running. You yeah. called it in the primary, however. Oh, we were the first uh, in the nation. To yeah. Call it. All right, listen, I know you're short on time. I got a lot to get to uh, with you here, so let's just jump right in. Um, before we even get to the congressional races, uh, in Missouri, after years of Republican-majority state legislature there and the Republican governors there blocking the expansion of Medicaid in the show-me state. The issue was finally put to voters in a statewide ballot initiative on Tuesday, and while some thought it was going to be a squeaker, it actually appears to have won by almost six points as of today, something like 53 to 47 your thoughts on what appears to be, I think, the sixth Republican-controlled state now where the GOP has blocked the 2010 Obamacare expansion of Medicaid only to be overturned by the actual voters? Yeah, the, the voters are idiots. They are? Well, yeah, they are, because they keep electing people who are opposed to what they want. Uh, a majority, uh, and it wasn't like a huge landslide majority, but a, a real majority of Missourians wanted the, to expand, mm-hmm. under the Obamacare rules, Medicaid. Uh, a quarter of a million of the poorest uh, people in the state will now be getting uh, health care for the first time, health insurance. Mm-hmm. And and yet they keep electing a uh, a, a statewide officers who are Republicans, and they keep electing most of their congressional uh, delegation, all but two Republicans, and they keep electing a uh, Republican state Senate and a Republican mm-hmm. state House mm-hmm. who opposes everything that they want. So, you know, uh, it, 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 what it really says uh, is that voters have a lot of reasons to vote, 
and uh, uh, policy is, isn't as uh, high on the list. In fact, I was reading today that for a significant number of voters, believe this or not, I mean, this is horrifying, uh, it's sometimes as much as 6 or 7% of voters vote for someone who's running for Congress mm-hmm. based on where they are on the ballot. In other words, yeah. the first name they see is who they vote for. Yes, because that... they don't want to bother uh, looking, looking beyond that. Well, that is true. That said, let me push back a little bit, Howie, because uh, we saw the same thing from Missouri, uh, I think it was in 2018, where they struck down the Republicans' uh, so-called right-to-work anti-union law in Missouri. We saw similar things from voters in Michigan. In both cases, you got Republican state legislatures. But doesn't that uh, I'm going to stand up for the voters here. Doesn't that more speak to the gerrymandering of these state legislative districts uh, in these in these uh, particular states where, you know... The- no, because it, it, no? It's, it's the, they elect, in Missouri especially, all the statewide offices are, are Republicans, and you can't just give it to... You can't just say it's gerrymandering. Mm. Gerrymandering uh, makes the Republicans even stronger in Missouri, but even if there was no gerrymandering, it would still be the, uh, a catastrophic mm-hmm. legislature. Uh, that's because people are conservatives there, and they they've bought into the Republican nonsense. And a lot of them are, you know, religious nuts, or I don't know if I should say a lot of them, but enough to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so therefore, we wind up with this disconnect where, that we saw, where people at least they got a chance to vote. Look at Florida. Florida would pass in a second, but the Republican governor and state legislature won't even allow a vote mm-hmm. on expanding Medicare. Yep. You know, it, it was just shocked that it happened in Oklahoma, but mm-hmm. uh, they, they had no way to stop it in Oklahoma. And they had no way to stop it in Missouri. They tried. They tried. The Republicans tried to not have votes, and and they scheduled it for uh, a primary instead of for the general election, mm-hmm. or uh, you know, for you know, in order to hold down the number of votes. You know. The thing I know that you want, you want to talk about next, but I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, is, mm-hmm. is Cory Bush. And the reason I'm going to jump ahead isn't because I'm in a rush, which is probably what you were thinking, but because <laughs> it's related. And it's related because the reason that this won was because of a huge turnout in St. Louis County yeah. and, and, this, and St. Louis City. They count them each as a separate thing. Uh, the, and the reason that one of the reasons why that turnout was, was so big was because of Cori Bush being on the ballot. Now, you could also say that one of the reasons that she won was because the turnout for expanding uh, uh, Medicaid was so big. They're both true. Both things are true. And by her putting up such a vigorous campaign and out there campaigning and campaigning on expanded health care, and that's where the votes came from. Believe me, the votes did not come from these deep red... uh, uh, these deep red districts in uh, in southeast and southwest Missouri. That's not where the votes came from. Well, let me let me jump in just so if people don't know about this race because it was huge. And you're right; it was the next thing I was going to get to. Uh, this Cory Bush race against uh, Congressman William Lacey Clay, uh, Congressman uh, Congressman Clay, and his father who was known as Bill Clay when I grew up there in Missouri. They've represented the 1st Congressional District, which covers, as you said, St. Louis City and parts of the much larger and sprawling St. Louis County since 1969. The son here has been serving for 10 terms now uh, and in 2018 defeated the progressive activist Cory Bush by 20 points. Just 
two years ago. So uh, that sounds like a lot of, of uh, points actually to have beaten her by, but it was actually the first substantive challenge that uh, Clay, I believe, has ever faced no, in no, his it career. Wasn't, it wasn't the first. It wasn't? No. Well, it was the closest, was it not? Yeah, it was a, it was a very big deal, and she did really yeah. well. Uh, but there, there had been one other one that helped to set it up, uh, as well as state senator. Okay who is active in the Ferguson movement. Okay, so why, however, is this such a huge victory now? It looks like Cori Bush has, well, I don't it's not decisive, but uh, about three points uh, has defeated this 10-term congressman. Why is that uh, just a huge victory for progressives as you see it? And what the heck changed in the two years in uh, Missouri uh, to result in it now sending, almost certainly sending its first black female uh, congresswoman to Washington? Yeah, so... Um let me talk about what I want to talk about first, okay. which was the second question that you asked. Uh-huh. Is, uh huh. What was the second question that you asked? I got all excited when you said it. What changed <laughs> in the two years? Yes, the, the aha, that is the right question. Okay. And what changed is that it was her second time running and she had the name recognition. That's the big deal there. And, and that other candidates need to know, like Eva Pitsova, who, who did well, mm-hmm. didn't, didn't win in Arizona 1. I'm sure we'll get to that later. But next time, she'll beat Tom O'Halloran. And, and, and I can't emphasize that enough, that it's very, very, very tough, not impossible, mm-hmm. but very, very tough to, to win a primary the first time you go up against an entrenched incumbent. And because Corey was a strong, powerful woman who wasn't going to give up after being defeated by a lot mm-hmm. first time, and she ran again, she she already had name recognition. She was able to build on that to win uh, the second time. So I think that that's the most important aspect of uh, of this of her winning. That's the reason why she won. Now the reason why it's such a big deal is because a lot of prog- a lot of progressives who were in these in primaries like Eva, who I just mentioned, did not win. So you know we have a victory. We have a big victory. For someone who was a who was a, a stalwart Bernie Crat and endorsed by Bernie, mm-hmm. and someone who uh, wasn't you know just sort of wobbly around the edges, she's going to get to Congress. She's going to kick ass. There's no question, zero, zero, that the last night Missouri just gave the fifth member to the squad. No question. She will be in the squad immediately. And uh, and yet, by the way, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, did endorse her last time, but not this. She actually campaigned no, she for Bush it. last time. No, she endorsed it this time. Are, are you sure? That's not what yeah, I read. Okay. No, she did. You read wrong. She okay. endorsed Okay. So, and you're right, she's absolutely going to go, just to give you an idea, there was about 140,000 votes cast in the Democratic primary in uh, Missouri's 1st District on Tuesday, about 11,000 cast in the Republican primary. Just to give you an idea, yeah, it's a pretty Democratic district. Also, uh, Howie, our friend uh, David Dayan at the American Prospect notes that Congressman Clay was a senior member on the House Financial Services Committee. It once he's out now, that would also move up progressive uh, progressives, Katie Porter, Rashida Tlaib, and AOC up in seniority on that committee. That's also a good thing for progressives. It seems <clears throat> you bet. The so, other thing is that yeah, he's extremely uh, he w- he was extremely corrupt, <clears throat> and that's good. <clears throat> that- that's good for progressives to get rid of someone like that and good for everybody else. I mean, he's trying, he's been trying 
once he saw that there were these that there were going to be challenges to him all the time, he tried to be a little bit more progressive in his voting record, and, mm-hmm. and he succeeded. He he was more progressive, but he still so he, they couldn't get him on being a conservative, <clears throat> but they definitely had the the um, con- the corrupt part uh, mm-hmm. to to go after him on. Well, something I never thought I'd say, there's some good progressive news, <laughs> good news for progressives in my old home state of Missouri. Speaking of Rashida Tlaib, uh, she was first elected in 2018, I, as I recall, as one of the first two female Muslims to be elected to Congress. Uh, along with Elon Omar. She was uh, one of the so-called squad that you mentioned. She beat back a challenge from Brenda Jones after the two had faced off previously in 2018 to fill the seat vacated in uh, Michigan's 13th Congressional District, vacated by the late John Conyers. It looks like Tlaib this time won decisively, so far at least, 66 to 34 Tlaib over Jones, like uh, Cory Bush in in Missouri now, Tlaib is is pretty much a shoe in to win yeah. that district in November. Absolutely. So, Although, yeah, APAC really wanted to go after her. They wanted to get rid of her and Ilhan both. They wanted to definitely get rid of both of those women, and they and they were all excited until they started looking at um, the the uh, the other woman's record. Mm-hmm. Realized that um, she isn't. Uh, pro-Israel enough for them either. So they they sat it out. They're putting all their resources in against uh, Ilhan now. Gotcha. All right. Well, um, I guess we'll see how that goes. Another uh, progressive victory you note in Michigan's 6th Congressional District, John Hoadley? Yes, Hoadley is a state legislator mm-hmm. southwest southwest Michigan from Kalamazoo, and he, he's running for, for uh, Congress against uh, Fred Upton, and he had a, a surprisingly close uh, um, primary, but he won it. He, he, he wound up uh, taking it away at the end. So that's, real, that's a more good news for, for progressives. Mm-hmm. There's another one that, I, that um, people aren't counting a, as well, and that is a progressive state legislator in, in Washington State. And I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, uh, but her name is Beth... I think it's Dolio, mm-hmm. although it's spelled like as though it were Doglio. Right. But when she talked to me about it on the phone one day, yeah. she left the G silent. But anyway, uh, Beth is, is a great candidate. And they, there in Washington, they have, again, it's a jungle primary. So all Republicans and all Democrats and tons of people mm-hmm. and ran at, on the same ticket. And it looks like the final two are going to be Beth plus... Another woman who was uh, a former mayor and head of the Chamber of Commerce, extremely conservative, just the worst kind of Democrat, and uh, and they'll be facing off in November. So it'll be Democrat versus Democrat in November. Yeah, that was Marilyn Strickland, the uh, conservative Democrat, and it looks like she's beating uh, Dolio, but without all of the other people in the race, the progressive Dolio may, in fact, have a chance. Uh, as long as you jumped over to Washington State, the uh, top where you mentioned they have those uh, top two so-called jungle primaries, uh, looks like another progressive squad member, Pramila Jayapal, appears to have easily won on Tuesday, uh, even though just 51% of the ballots are counted right now in Washington's all-vote-by-mail election. Jayapal leads Republican Craig Keller 80% to 8 
Do you think she'll pull that one off, Howie, in November? She will, but she's not in the squad. She, oh, she's not a squad member? No, she's she's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, but not on the squad. I would like to make her a squad member. I may not have that power. Anything else, since I know you're short on time, anything else jump out at you from uh, Tuesday's elections in Missouri, Michigan, Kansas, Arizona, or Washington State? Yeah, there's one thing that we didn't talk about that's important to mention. Yeah. The Democrats spent literally, under Schumer's, Schumer directed this, mm-hmm. $5 million to try to, to make sure that Chris Kobach would be the, the nominee. And they did that in a bunch of stupid ways that were very transparent, and a lot of people saw through it. And because of that, or partially because of that, Chris Kobach lost. And now the make-believe Democrat that, that Schumer recruited has no chance of winning, and Kansas is off the map. I should mention that the, the woman that he recruited, you know, two, two or three weeks ago or so, <laughs> was a Republican state legislator, and uh, and Schumer got her to switch her uh, her party registration and become mm-hmm. a Democrat. But when they switch their party registrations and become a Democrat, it doesn't all of a sudden make them, you know, pro choice or pro-gay or less racist or mm-hmm. anything they're still what they were they just have a d next to their name instead of an r next to their name so no big deal in any case so you would say the u.s senate uh flipping that seat uh, being vacated by uh republican pat roberts uh flipping that from red to blue is unlikely to happen in kansas as you see it howie off the table. One more along those lines, uh, by the way, uh, since you since you bring this up. So uh, Republican U.S. Senator Martha McSally, she easily defeated her GOP primary challenger, Daniel McCarthy, on Tuesday. She'll face the Democrat Mark Kelly, who appears ready, at least according to the polls, ready to flip that Senate seat. In fact, uh, red to blue in November. But we discussed a little bit yesterday. Uh, on the show that McCarthy, who was challenging McSally, actually did better in polling against the Democrat Mark Kelly than McSally does. So it sounds sort of like the converse of what we saw with Democrats in Kentucky a few weeks ago. Uh, I think you and I discussed it where the establishment endorsed the Democratic establishment endorsed Amy McGrath will now be taking on Mitch McConnell, even though progressive Charles Booker did better against McConnell in the polling. But Chuck Schumer and the establishment, they liked McGrath. They got behind her is when this happens. Is this just more uh, is this is this bias toward incumbency among the GOP establishment and among the Democratic establishment or, or is something else at play when that happens? Well, incumbency is a big deal when that happens. Mm-hmm. That doesn't explain uh, uh, Schumer backing Amy McGrath. You know, they're, they're looking for a way that they think they can win mm-hmm. is really what it comes down to. Now, Schumer was wrong. Uh, the new polling that came out yesterday shows um, shows her with less than forty percent. McGrath, yeah, Connell, and no one's talking about that race in a serious way anymore. And you know, chances are Booker would have done a lot better, and people would at least be talking about that race. So 
what that's what we got. Uh, I know you got to go, but you mentioned this in your uh, piece at downwithtyranny.com uh, that I will link folks towards. Uh, but you cite uh, this morning uh, Roots Action, uh, led by uh, Norm, Norman Solomon, had, have had him on the show many times. He's a big Bernie Sanders fan. They announced that the group is launching a grassroots campaign aimed at so-called swing voters on the left to persuade Bernie supporters and other progressives. You forgot one word. What? What is that? Swing voters on the left in swing states. Okay. They're not trying to convince you or I. Okay. Convince people in Ohio and Florida and uh, in, in, in just in, in North Carolina, not not in California or New York. Well, we get when we open the phones here at KPFK, uh, we get a lot of callers who seem to think, oh, the both parties, they're bad. They're both the same. Trump is no worse than Biden. Maybe I'll vote green this year. I think that's incredibly uh, lazy and embarrassing uh, thinking, to be honest. But I'm wondering your response to that thinking from progressives and if the Roots Action campaign is actually meant to speak to that sort of progressive. Yeah, but remember what I just said. They're talking about not progressives who are calling KPFK. They're talking about progressives in swing states. They're not going to do anything in California, and they're not going to encourage anybody to vote for Biden. As far as the two parties being the same, that's absurd. They're not the same. There are certain things about them that are the same, which have to do with the careerism of the elected officials. But remember, for example, but remember the Democratic Party, at least in the recent past, had values that many Democrats still hold that have to do with, uh, you know, trying to be the party of the working class. Now, the reality of that ended with Bill Clinton, but the Republican Party never had that reality. So there's kind of a a fit-and-start change right now that's taking place, as as though a new uh, dichotomy is being born of, you know, Trump somehow thinking that there's some kind of, I don't know, plutocratic populism that's possible that's going to meld the very, you know, richest, 0.5 percent with the uh, with white working class and there's been some success that the Republicans have have had that way and those are people who either were once Democrats or who who would have been Democrats or their parents were Democrats FDR type Democrats in terms of their grandparents Mm So, so the two parties may be changing. I mean, Clinton very much was a, a corporatist Democrat, and he, although he didn't say, you know, that the hell with the working class, uh, he acted that way uh, uh, to some extent. And that ever since then, the Democrats have been less less of a working class party. So there are things that the that the two parties have in common. There are things that they have that are very very different. Uh, you know, the Democrats are basically a, a conglomeration of, of uh, uh, identity politics mm-hmm. uh, more than anything else. I mean, what do they really stand for? Well, some things, but less and less by the day. And we all know what uh, Republicans stand for because it's never changed. It changed a little bit under Trump, but just a little bit. Because he's not, you know, he's not a real Republican anyway, not mm-hmm. even a real conservative anyway. He's just a Trumpist. It's its own thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, people people who say that they may vote for uh, uh, for the Green, if they live in California, if they live in New York, if they live in Massachusetts, it does, it, you know, let them do what they want. 
if they live in, in Florida, uh, give them Norman's phone number. <laughs> okay, I will indeed. Uh, Howie, I know i got to let you go. We've got uh, more elections still to come in this cycle. Uh, yes. I think uh, Tennessee on Thursday, next uh, Tuesday, August 11, it's Connecticut, Minnesota, Vermont, and Wisconsin. I know you're excited about Massachusetts coming uh, a few weeks after that, so I hope we'll uh, get to talk to you more uh, in the in the coming days. Hopefully we have a bit more time, because i got a lot more I want to talk to you about how progressives are doing overall this year as we move, uh, as we barrel towards November 3rd. Uh, Howie Klein, founder... But, uh, yeah, well, let's talk about it for sure some more. Very good. Howie Klein, founder of DownWithTyranny.com, co-founder of the Blue America Pack to support progressives. You can uh, find a link to uh, joining the Blue America Pack with your support at his blog, DownWithTyranny.com. Howie, always great speaking with you, my friend. Hope to uh, do it again very soon. Thanks, Brad. Thank you, brother. As well. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, uh, just to follow up on our uh, our quick reference there to Chris Kobach in Kansas, uh, since we had to sort of speed through it there, that is, in fact, good news, as he noted, for Republicans hoping to hang on to the majority in the U.S. Senate. So, yes, some bad, if not completely surprising news for Democrats there. Chris Kobach, of course, is the former Kansas Secretary of State, the anti-immigrant zealot and the beclowned GOP voter fraud fraudster who headed up Donald Trump's failed, short-lived voter fraud commission. Uh, So he, yes, appears to be losing decisively in the nomination for the, uh, the Republican nomination for the U.S. Senate. Some, what is it here, 40 to 26 percent right now. Yeah, I think that's going to be pretty decisive. Uh, It looks like it. Uh, Another candidate is receiving about 19 percent of the vote. Then there's about eight candidates who are receiving single digits or less. So the winner of that race uh, appears to be Congressman Roger Marshall. He is also a doctor, an obstetrician. He's uh, considered the dean of the... Uh, Kansas U.S. House uh, congressional delegation. Uh, he also he unseated a fellow Republican for the job back in 2016 when he went to the House. That is, however, the second statewide loss in a row for the disgraced Chris Kobach after he lost the governor's race to a Democrat, Democrat uh, Lori, uh, Laura Kelly, in 2018. Sadly, of course, we also offered a very rare endorsement on this show for Chris Kobach. In hopes that he would, of course, be the best candidate for any Democrat to run against because everybody knows what a knucklehead he is. Well, that's you saying it. I was giving a (laughs) full-throated endorsement for uh, his uh, GOP nomination to uh, run for Senate there, but it wasn't enough, apparently. Oh, well. Holding on to the uh, GOP U.S. Senate uh, seat now in Kansas uh, did just get a whole lot easier for the Republicans, as Howie notes, uh, though whether it will be enough to allow them to hold the Senate majority, that remains a separate question for another day. Yes, it's still up that, in the air. That and day, by the way, is November 3rd. Yes. That's the day. Yeah, indeed. And, and again, as we've been saying over and over again, take nothing for granted. This is going to be a street fight on every level. I mean, a virtual street fight to vote and to have those votes counted and in every state. I'm glad you added that part about virtual right yeah. there. <laughs> at this point, this well, that's year. my hope. Uh, listen, uh, very quick before we get to a break in, in some other disgraced Republican 
election news in Kansas and elsewhere. Kansas's indicted U.S. Congressman Steve Watkins, who is now facing three felony charges related to Yes, voter fraud in Kansas. I don't know why Chris Kobach uh, missed it. Anyway, uh, he, he registered and he voted at an address that was not his legal address. In fact, it was a uh, UPS office in Topeka. He becomes the sixth House incumbent to be defeated for renomination this cycle, it appears, in Kansas. That is uh, reportedly more than any cycle since 2012. So people have had it up to here with incumbents, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, it seems, especially Hmm. Republicans who have been charged with felonies, which, by the way, has not uh, been a, a disqualifying factor in previous elections. I think in 2018, yeah, there was two separate Republicans who were indicted and then reelected. Anyway, Steve Watkins will not be another one of them. He appears to have been defeated handily by Republican Jake LaTurner. One note on that, the three felonies and one misdemeanor that Watkins was charged with just a few weeks ago is the same exact thing that Donald Trump did when he registered with a, quote, legal address in Florida, which is not his address and, in fact, is not legal at all. He registered to vote at Mar-a-Lago, which is a private club, not a residence, and then he voted by absentee ballot at that res- at that not legal address. And uh, a complaint has been officially filed. Uh, Florida law enforcement is required, is mandated by law to investigate. But so far, no indictments against Donald Trump for some reason for doing the same exact thing that Congressman Steve Watkins has been charged with and has now lost his um, reelection bid uh, in the wake of. So... Just mentioning it. Also continuing along the lines of disgraced criminal Republicans and Donald Trump, uh, 80-year-old contempt of court convict pardoned by Donald Trump, Joe Arpaio. Yeah, he's back. Well, maybe. He is the former longtime sheriff of Maricopa County. uh, That's Phoenix, Arizona. He is currently, as we speak, in a very tight race for the GOP nomination for his old job as Maricopa County Sheriff, which he uh, he lost in uh, 2016 to a Democrat, Sheriff Paul Penzone, who is uh, running again this year. Arpaio is currently just behind Jerry Sheridan in a four-person race in Maricopa in the GOP primary. He's just behind him by some by about 500 votes reportedly, out of more than 300,000 votes so far tabulated in Maricopa. Gosh, it's almost like every vote matters. Well, it it should. I, I wonder if uh, Arpaio and or his pal Trump, who pardoned him for, again, contempt of court, I wonder if they will uh, call the election rigged if Arpaio ends up losing it or, or fraudulent because of, you know, all the absentee ballots that were cast this year in the GOP primary. Isn't that rigged? And by the way, I wonder if I will have to take Arpaio's side in this matter because I will if he has to call for a hand count of those ballots, which uh, even vote by mail ballots are counted by computers, not by human beings. 
So, uh, you know, if he calls for a hand count, yes, I will take Joe Arpaio's side in that. And um, uh, so, uh, you know, I would support that effort. Whether, uh, Frankly, whether it was him or his main opponent, uh, Jerry Sheridan, uh, because as I have explained for nearly two decades now, uh, as I've been covering elections, election integrity is about public oversight. It is not about right or left or Republicans or Democrats, at least as far as I am concerned. So, yeah, I have found myself uh, as a, a pretty strange bedfellow over the years with folks like Joe Miller up in Alaska. Remember him? Oh, yeah. Uh, and the abhorrent Congressman Alan West in Florida. Uh, when Whenever they get screwed by the voting system in various ways, I'm happy to help. So, uh, hey, need help, Joe Arpaio, to make sure your voters' votes actually get counted as cast? Give me a call. Happy <laughs> to help. Well, yeah, election integrity is a nonpartisan issue. So, yeah, uh, anyway, in any event, a, a somewhat mixed bag uh, for some progressives on Tuesday. But overall, as I said at the top, I think it was a very good news day uh, in general for them. And especially with that win on the ballot measure to expand Medicare in my old home Medicaid. state of Medicaid. Thank you to more than uh, 200,000 people in Missouri. That was a very good day indeed for progressivism. Though I, I actually got to say I have some trouble blaming the voters is how he did uh, for anything, even though he makes a good point about electing Republicans for statewide posts like governor in Missouri. So you can't use gerrymandering as an excuse there, but you can use our terrible media for an excuse. I, I've got, a, you know, a lot of very smart relatives in Missouri, Desi, that you know. Oh, yeah. That still vote Republican every year. They're very smart, but they still vote for idiots like Donald Trump, who they know to be an idiot, I think. But they've been scared via media propaganda about Democrats being the socialists and Antifa coming to burn down your house. And, well, they seem to buy anything. So I don't know. Maybe they are stupid. Anyway, quick break. <laughs> And we'll pick up on a few more related uh, points and some more good election-related news as the broadcast continues now 90 days away from the November 3rd general election and just 168 days away from Inauguration Day. But who's counting? I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. <laughs> The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. It's been a long, a long time coming, but I know change gonna come. It is gonna come. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Change is coming, in fact. Again, the, the biggest news, I think, for progressives coming out of Tuesday's election in Missouri, other than the approval of the expansion of Medicaid to more than 200,000 people without health care in the, in the 10 years since the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare was expanded had expanded Medicaid to make uh, to, to, to those making as much as $18,000 annually. That would have been 100% paid for by the federal government, but Republicans blocked that. 
to hundreds of thousands of people in Missouri. Healthcare. Now I think uh, the federal government pays 90% of it. But uh, anyway, it's, it's now coming to those folks in Missouri. That's some good news. But other than that, the biggest news for progressives was the Democratic primary win by progressive activist Cori Bush, who defeated 10-term Congressman William Lacey Clay, whose father before him served 16 terms in Congress. Bush became a, a prominent activist in response to the police killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, which was back in. Do you remember when that was, Desi Doyen? I want to say 2014. Very good. Yeah, ah. 2014. Seems like just yesterday, but it was actually 2014. So, yeah, see, change uh, can take a while, but it can come if you stick to it, as Cori Bush did. Uh, here's a bit of her victory speech on Tuesday before a, a small crowd because of the COVID. And while I think she was wearing a mask, it sounds like. Yes, she here. was. This is uh, some of her remarks to supporters on Tuesday night. They counted us out. They called me, you know, I'm just the protester. Uh -huh. I'm just the activist Come on. with no name, no title and no real money. Come on, yes. That's all they said that I was. Yes. But St. Louis showed up today. So. This summer after George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Amar Arbery, Nina Pop and so many more were taken from us. Yes. Millions of people are taken to the streets around the world to join us, to join those who had said for years, starting in this place, that black lives matter. We've been called radicals, terrorists. We've been dismissed as impossible, uh, as an impossible fringe movement. That's what they called us. But now we are a multiracial, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-faith mass movement united in demanding change, in demanding accountability, in demanding that our police, our government, our country recognize that black lives do indeed matter. And that these are not just words or symbolic gestures, but with concrete actions and, sh and we will measure those with our outcomes. So let me just say, it is, a, it is historic that this year of all years, yes. we're sending a black working class single on, mother. Oh. Yes. 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 Who's been fighting for black lives from Ferguson all the way to the halls of Congress. Yes. Girl. Love it. That was Cori Bush uh, speaking to supporters after appearing to uh, defeat 10 term Democratic Congressman William Lacey Clay in uh, Missouri's first congressional district. That's both uh, in the city of St. Louis and St. Louis County, uh, where she will uh, now almost certainly go on to be the district's next congresswoman and the first first African-American woman in Missouri history. Really? Yeah. I don't think sensed. I realized yeah. that before. Wow. Yeah. Kind of embarrassing, ain't it? But anyway, she's making up for it. So uh, very good news there. In other mostly good election-related news today, some good voting news out of Iowa today, of all places. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds signed an executive order on Wednesday granting convicted felons the right to vote 
After they complete their sentences, ending Iowa's place as the only remaining state to broadly deny voting rights to felons. Well, that word broadly uh, there is doing a lot of work in AP's coverage. Uh, Until just about two years ago, there were, I think, just three shameful states in the union left that had denied former felons the right to vote for life even after they had completed their sentences. One was Kentucky, where the uh, state elected a Democratic governor in 2018 who almost immediately kept his campaign promise to issue an executive order to automatically allow most former felons to vote. Another was Florida, which we've talked about quite a bit on this show, where the voters overwhelmingly passed Amendment 4, Back in 2018, only to see that state constitutional amendment undermined by the state's GOP governor and legislature when they added a requirement that all fines and fees must be paid before a former felon is allowed to register to vote. That was found to be an unconstitutional poll tax by a federal uh, federal judge. Because basically, if you had the money to afford to pay off your fines and fees, you could vote. If you didn't have enough money, you couldn't vote. The very definition of a poll tax. But that finding has been stayed on appeal, uh, that lower court finding, uh, which uh, the U.S. Supreme Court has now allowed to stand. So there is still much confusion in the Sunshine State. Uh, about who can register to vote, who can't, even though efforts are being made to help as many as one and a half million former felons, disproportionately African-American, by the way, to pay off their fines and fees, which if, if they can figure out what those fines and fees actually are, because the state does not keep any database. So a lot of these people have no idea whether they owe money or not. Now, LeBron James basketball star, for example, he has recently announced a new voting rights group called MoreThanAVote.org that he is working with. They will donate about $100,000 toward the effort to help pay outstanding court debts of these uh, ex-felons so that they can register to vote. Frankly, the amount of money that he and other folks in the NBA have, you'd think they'd put out more money than $100,000, but, you know, don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth there. In any event, The third shameful state left was Iowa, where the Republican governor today fulfilled a promise that she had made in June to issue the order to restore the franchise to at least most former felons, though she said she will continue to push the legislature to pass a constitutional amendment that would prevent future governors from being able to overturn it. She had long favored that action, but she was blocked by uh, the Republicans in the state Senate there. As AP notes, Reynolds has made a constitutional amendment restoring felon voting rights a top priority for two years, but Senate Republicans rejected her proposals. Here's Governor Reynolds making uh, a statement at the executive order signing ceremony to reenfranchise former felons in Iowa today. Today, I'm announcing that I will be signing Executive Order Number 7, which restores the right to vote for Iowans who have already completed their felony sentences and announces that I will continue to do so on a daily basis for those who complete their sentence in the future. The Executive Order requires Iowans to complete any prison, probation, parole, or special sentence 
and it still requires those who committed felony homicide offenses to individually apply for restoration. This is a cause on which so many Iowans have worked on for years. It boils down to our fundamental belief in redemption and second chances. Getting things done involves coming to the table, and I want to thank our broad and diverse coalition that has advocated for the restoration of voting rights of those who have completed their felony sentences. And this is not conclusive of everybody that's worked on it, but these are people that we've worked with quite a bit for the last couple of years. Um, uh, the NAACP to the family leader to the ACLU and Americans for Prosperity to the legislators that you see standing behind me. They've been phenomenal advocates and that's not representative of all of them. That's who was able to make it on a short notice and so many others. Quite simply, when someone serves their sentence and pays the price our justice system has set for their crimes, they should have their right to vote restored automatically, plain and simple. That was Iowa Governor, Iowa's Republican Governor, Kim Reynolds, on Wednesday announcing her executive order to re-enfranchise, automatically re-enfranchise, most, if not all, former felons in the uh, Hawkeye State. <laughs> you notice uh, she mentioned, uh, she rattled off several groups there, the NAACP, as supporters of this measure, NAACP, right. ACLU, and Americans, Americans for, for Prosperity. Prosperity. Yes, I noticed that too. That's, of course, the uh, the Koch-funded uh, right-wing group. They also, by the way, were uh, supportive of the uh, Amendment 4 down in Florida. So this really is a bipartisan movement, at least for some, though, as I noted, it was Republicans in the state legislature in uh, Iowa who had blocked a constitutional amendment for this. It was Republicans down in Florida, their governor, the uh, majority uh, GOP state legislature down there in Florida who had blocked it. So, you know, when it comes to actual people, I guess, as opposed to elected officials, um uh, there's a broad group of folks who are behind this, who support this effort, but we still shamefully have some of these uh, Republicans blocking these efforts. Um, Kim Reynolds' uh, order will not automatically restore voting rights to felons convicted of certain crimes, including first and second degree murder, attempted murder, fetal homicide, and some sex offenses, those will have to uh, they'll have to apply to her for permission to vote. Such felons would still need to petition her to get their rights back. But the order will not require felons to make full financial restitution to their victims before they'll be allowed to vote. Uh, this was a requirement of, of the groups Black Lives Matter, NAACP, ACLU, etc. The order will restore the rights to an estimated 40,000 people who have completed prison sentences, probation and parole, who will hopefully this year, in fact, be able to vote in the great state of Iowa perhaps for the first time ever. Reynolds said she will continue to press the GOP-led legislature to pass a constitutional amendment which could not then be reversed by a future governor. She has made this issue a priority, I was interested to read, previously discussing her own struggle with alcoholism and drunk driving arrests. Oh. 
Before she sought treatment and got sober about 20 years ago, she said felons deserve a second chance and that restoring their voting rights was part of that opportunity for redemption. So interesting that it had to affect her personally before she would be interested in this. That often does seem to be the case, but I'm glad for it. Whatever whatever prompted her to do it, I'm glad for it. Now, Kira Lerner over at The Appeal uh, writes that the order keeps people convicted of certain crimes disenfranchised for life. In practice, the vast majority of states have now ended, and it requires people to finish all terms of their sentence, including incarceration, probation, parole before the rights can even uh, can be restored. The rule in um, uh, Iowa, like Florida's, had disproportionately impacted black Iowans. Just 4% of Iowa's population is black. However, African-Americans made up 13% of the state's disenfranchised population in the 2016 presidential election, according to a report from the uh, Sentencing Project. Other states... Lerner notes have taken bolder steps to expand their electorate over the past year. Washington, D.C. has abolished felony disenfranchisement altogether, including for people who are in prison, currently in prison. And Colorado, Nevada and New Jersey have restored the voting rights of anyone who is not in prison, including even if they are still on probation or parole. Meanwhile, in Maine and Vermont, felons can vote even while they are in prison, as should be the case, as those folks are more affected by the state, by the law, than uh, arguably anyone else in the country. Sixteen states restore the vote upon release from prison, and another 21 automatically restore it after the sentence is served, including parole and probation. Other states attach conditions uh, for various certain crimes. Uh, Daniel, well, he's known as Daniel on the Twitters. He's actually Daniel Nishanian. He's a uh, the editor of the Appeal Political Report, said uh, on Tuesday night after election, uh, after the polls had closed, he said, I asked Eli, uh, Eli Savitt, who tonight likely won the prosecutor race in Washtenaw County, Michigan, that's Ann Arbor, if he thinks people in prison should vote. He said, yes, folks that are serving time are quite literally under the control of the state. They deserve to have their voices heard. He notes that Portland, Portland, uh, Oregon, presumably, like Austin, Texas, likely Ann Arbor, just in the past three months, the list of uh, that's the list of jurisdictions where candidates are winning prosecutorial elections saying that felony disenfranchisement should be entirely abolished. And he says that list is growing. That's good news. Yes, it takes a while, but change can come. Yes, including progressive change. Quick break, and we will be back with Lord knows what right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. You're listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener-supported thanks to listeners like you who stop by bradblog.com donate. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. You know what town is going to be a ghost town uh, this summer? No. <laughs> that would be Milwaukee, mm. where uh, presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden will not be traveling to in order to accept the Democratic presidential nomination this year because of concerns over the coronavirus. That, according to party officials on Wednesday, signaling a move to a convention that has now essentially become entirely virtual. Wow. Okay, good. Neither the Biden campaign nor DNC officials offered any details about how Biden might accept the nomination, which even in the pandemic could be a made-for-screen event, reaching tens of millions of voters via television and online only. A DNC official said all speakers and presenters for the August 17 through 24, that's just about two weeks away, Des, 17 to 24 uh, convention are now expected to speak only from remote locations. Okay, then. Sorry about that, Milwaukee. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, the Republicans will also be having something similar. Apparently, Donald Trump has now announced uh, on Fox and Friends that he is abandoning his own plans to accept the Republican nomination in person. On Wednesday, he mused about potentially making his acceptance speech from the White House. Hmm. That don't seem legal. Legal. Yeah. Taxpayer funded. I don't think so. But when has the law ever stopped Donald Trump from doing anything that he damn well pleases? Indeed. So we will see a lot to figure out in the days ahead. Got to get out right now. However, my thanks to Howie Klein of Down With Tyranny for joining us today. Also to my producer, Desi Doyen, and to all (laughs) of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other ever, you can download it for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who make it possible for us to remain on your public airwaves by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. I read them all, reply to most. And you can find me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at The Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time, hopefully tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. You can